Rick said, we, we want to finish a series today. We're, we've been in a series uh, called The Big Give for a number of weeks. We've still got our big sparkle box here for one more week. Uh, my friend Justin, he, he comes to North Point. He's convinced there's a go-kart in there. I've told him every week there's no go-kart in there. And he says, no, there's a go-kart. So I, I'm, I'm, on, I'm hoping there really is a go-kart in there, and I'm wrong. And Justin is just so excited. I would just make my day. But is there a go-kart in there? Yes. Yeah, I didn't think there was a go-kart in there. Anyways, Justin will be at second service. We'll ruin his day then. It'll be awesome. Um, but, uh, but we're finishing a series today, and this whole idea of the big give, uh, you guys, a number, uh, we, we passed out, I don't know, 700 and something of these sparkle boxes, uh, disseminated them through North Point, through the YMCA, through the Christmas market. There was a number of ways that we got those out, and, and hopefully that, that was part of your Christmas um, celebration with your family over this last season. And that's, that's kind of how we conclude uh, the series this morning is by concluding 2017, because I don't know where you're at with this, but, but maybe you are limping out of 2017. Maybe a year ago at this time, you had all this hope, you set all these goals and dreams and uh, whatever you called them, and, and, and you said, I'm going to do it, and now we're like a few hours away, <laughs> right, from finishing, and you're like, there's no hope. <laughs> there's no way I'm getting those done. Uh, every, every year I set uh, a set amount of miles I want to run, and I, I owe some miles still today. I have a little hope that I'll get it done, but with the temperature outside, I don't have a lot of hope. I have a little hope. Maybe that's you. You had a fitness goal or a weight loss goal or something, and, and you're just a few miles, a few pounds, a few hours away from that, and so you've got some hope. Maybe you didn't uh, start the entire year. Maybe every day you woke up saying, I'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. Oh my gosh, it's the 31st, right? And so for you, maybe you're feeling there's no hope. Maybe you're, maybe you're limping out of 2017. Maybe your 2017 was just, you blew it out of the water. Like you had a fitness goal and you surpassed that. You had a mile goal, you surpassed that. You had family goals, you could do family dinner three nights a week. You did it four nights a week, right? Whatever it was. Maybe you had great hope and great goals. In 2017, you walk out of it and you're just like, man, we accomplished stuff. We're not going to ask anybody to raise their hands this morning <laughs> what side of the fence you've fallen. But it's interesting because New Year's Eve really is kind of all about reflecting on hope or maybe no hope and, and walking into a new year. And, and maybe you're walking into 2018 going, man, glad I'm so glad that 2017 is over and 2018 is going to be different. For sure this year I'm going to whatever, right? Tomorrow starts a new thing. I'm going to get up early and whatever. And so you've got all this hope in front of you, like a fresh start, a clean slate. You're just super excited about 2018 and the hope that it brings, right? And so you're full of hope. Or maybe because of where you're at today, right now, sitting in the pew that you're sitting in, you're looking at the calendar that you're going to flip tomorrow or put a new one up and say, I don't feel any hope. I don't see anything changing. I don't see anything being different. Matter of fact, the last two weeks have brought me a number of things that have squashed any hope I thought I had. And so it seems so appropriate today to be talking about this issue of hope. And that's kind of where we want to land, is in this idea of hope. Maybe you're looking forward to the clock striking midnight in 2018 beginning. New year, clean slate, brand new start, full of all kinds of hope. Or maybe you are dreading the fact that in a few hours, a whole new year starts. Today, we want to talk about hope. And all my goal is, is to remind us that we have a God of hope. 
And, and so I know a lot of you use the North Point app, and you're welcome to pull that out and use that this morning. There are no fill-ins. There are no questions in there. There are lots of verses. There's going to be lots of verses on the screen behind me. If you have a Bible and you want to turn to all these verses, that's great. Mostly, this is so strange. I don't know that I've ever said this before in my life. I want you just, just to hear. Like, if you want to follow along and take notes, that's fantastic. But if you're willing to just put notes away and just, just hear, all, all I want to try and do, if you give me 20 minutes, is remind us of the God that we have. And no matter where you're at on that hope scale, lots of hope to no hope, that we have a God that brings all kinds of hope. I want to start with a story. A guy by the name of James Whitaker. You may never have heard of James Whitaker, but my uh, guess is that a number of you, d depending on your age or your interest in history, have heard of Whitaker's friend, uh, Eddie Rickenbacker. You heard of this guy? James Whitaker was a member of the hand-picked crew that flew the B-17 Flying Fortress, captained by Eddie Rickenbacker. Anybody who remembers October of 1942 remembers the day Rickenbacker and his crew were reported lost at sea somewhere over the Pacific, out of radio range. The plane ran out of fuel and crashed into the ocean. The nine men spent the next month floating in three rafts. They battled the heat, storms, and the water. Sharks some 10 feet long would ram their nine-foot boats. After only eight days, their rations were eaten or destroyed by salt water. It would take a miracle to survive, Seemingly, all hope was lost. Story of hope. I want to start in the book of Genesis because it all starts in the beginning. In the very beginning, there was a man and a woman created named Adam and Eve, and they had all kinds of hope. God simply said, this is the place that I've put you, and I want you to enjoy it and enjoy me forever. What hope is in that? That's a crazy amount of hope, and yet we, we know if we've heard the story, if we've read the accounts, that it doesn't take long before that changes. In Genesis chapter 2, the last verse says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Please get caught up on the no shame part, all right? They felt no shame. There was no fear. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was nothing to be embarrassed about. There was no sense of no hope. Everything was right and good and as it should be. It says now in chapter 3 that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we can eat fruit from any trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from, from the tree in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. That's a whole sermon right there. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. He said, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. Here's the part. And I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Fear, guilt, shame enters into the scene for the first time ever. I don't know that Adam knew what he was feeling even, but he just felt this shame, and so he felt the need to hide, and that, that enters in this, this, this period of, of the world where that unfortunately becomes our condition of guilt and shame and hiding, and there was no hope. I don't know if Adam is hiding in that bush, keeping his head down from God like a five-year-old playing hide-and-seek that somehow God can't see him, but I don't know if Adam thought, this is where I'm going to live the rest of my days, in this bush right here trying to hide from God. There was no hope. 
And I don't know if Eve was right there with him, his wife, and the two of them were looking at each other going, what is going on? Oh, man, it would be better to be dead than to live like this. And God shows up, and God begins to talk with them, and certainly there's some consequences. But, but I want to read to you chapter 3, verse 15, because there's in, in the consequences, God injects some hope. He says uh, to, to the serpent, he's really giving consequences to this um, snake, uh, devil character. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. Her offspring will crush your head, but you're only going to strike his heel. That's weird language to us. That's language of hope, though. Like, like the offspring of people is going to destroy you, and you're barely going to inflict a little bit of an irritating wound on that person. This is great, great hope for Adam and Eve that someday things would be made right. One day something would happen that would take away all the guilt and all the shame and all the lack of hope and all the fear and all the needing to hide. Adam and Eve all of a sudden had a sense of great hope. Time goes on, some people happen. We get into Genesis chapter 6, and it says this. We're going to meet a guy maybe you've heard of. His name is Noah. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, When human beings began to increase in number in the earth, and daughters were born to them. Verse 5, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of humans' race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thought of the human heart was only evil all the time. Well, that's a great society to live in, right? Only evil all the time. There's no hope. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. Maybe one of the saddest verses in the Bible. God looked at people and said, I am so sad that I made that. In his heart, he was deeply troubled. This is God. And so the Lord said, I will wipe them from the face of the earth, the human race that I've created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. God in his mind says, I, I'm so sad by what's going on that, that, that i got to destroy it, maybe start over. And all of a sudden, there is no hope for people. God is sad and troubled, and, and, and trouble is coming. There's no hope for people. And then we jump right to verse 8, and the two words, but Noah, or now Noah, or Noah, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We get this little glimmer of hope. There is this person that somehow God notices that, that brings some hope into the situation. And if we know the story of Noah, he builds this big thing called an, oh, I'm, some of us know this story, a big ark, a boat, right? And this boat is this strange picture because maybe it's a time where there's never been rain. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But the community is walking by watching Noah and his family build this gigantic yacht. And they're like, you're out of your mind. And Noah says, no, it's a picture of hope. It's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of hope. And they're like, whatever, we don't need it. We don't care. We're only evil all the time. And the rain begins to come, and Noah and his family get into this boat, and the waters come, and, and people perish. And it's a tragic story. And yet for the, the family that's contained in that, that ark, that picture of hope, that picture of salvation, it is a great sense of hope. And a year goes by that they're on this crazy thing. I don't know if, if Noah had this great sense that one day the water would all go away and they would get out and live on dry land again. I don't know. I, I, honestly, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember if it's clear that it tells us that or if I just think that from flannel graph when I was like six. I got to wonder sometimes, did Noah think this was his new life? <laughs> like, yeah, uh, uh, some, I was going to sing a pirate song, but let's not do that this morning, right? Like that's how he was going to live is on a boat forever? 
with these, these other people, these kids and their, their wives, and all these stinking animals? I don't know. There was a sense of hope when the ark began to do what it was supposed to do, but I got to imagine over time that there is a sense of no hope, like this is it, man. We're living in this little boat thing for a season. Oh, good for us. And then the rain does stop, and the waters do recede, and the, <laughs> the ark does land on dry ground, and, and Noah and his family get out, and they're, they're very excited, and, I, and they're thinking, you know, is this, is this, what does this look like? Is this going to be this way all the time? Is God going to do this again? And they have this sense of hope because they've been saved, and yet then there's a sense of, I don't know, anticipation or anxiety or no hope because they're not sure what this looks like. And we get to chapter 9 in Genesis, and God says this to them. So I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed because of the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it'll be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I'll see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. God said, I'm going to stick this colorful bow in the sky, and every time you see it, you're going to think of hope. There's a hope that this is never going to happen again. There's a hope that I'm in control and sovereign and that I'm looking out for you, and Noah had to feel a sense of great hope. And time goes on, and, and people are born, and, and stuff happens, and, and these people begin to try and figure out uh, how to relate to this God. They've heard these stories of Adam and Eve, and no hope, and hope, and the story of Noah, and no hope, and, and hope, and now they're beginning to live and trying to figure out what does it look like to relate to God, and so God actually uh, chooses a leader from among them named Moses, and he speaks to Moses, he says to Moses in Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, he says, then Moses went up to God. And the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and to tell the people of Israel. There's this people that God has called to be his people. And they're like, What in the world does this look like to be the people of God? And he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to these other nations, Egypt and whatnot, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my trusted possession throughout the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you're to speak to the Israelites, these people. And Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them everything that God had commanded him to speak. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. God said, you know what? If you obey everything I tell you to do, people, then you're going to be my people. You'll be my treasured possession. I'm going to be your God. This is going to be a great thing. And the people said, God will do everything you told us. And I'm surprised that nobody chuckles every time I say that. Because we know, like, like, oh man, in my life, how many times have I said, no, I swear I'm going to do that. Right? We know. And we're talking about a perfect, holy God who has high standards and massive expectations, perfection. <laughs> the people learn pretty quick they have no hope of actually doing all the things that God has asked them to do all the time. They, they want that. They, they, they say they want that. They, they, they want to connect with that. They have maybe the best of intentions, and yet in the end, they cannot do all the things that God has told them to do. And so God lays out all these, these rules and expectations, terms of conditions, and they say, okay, but then they can't. And so God sets up this whole system of sacrifices. So there's hope because when they blow
below it, they can take an animal or some grain or a bird or a lamb and sacrifice it, and that pays for their sin, and, and then there's hope again, and they're in right relationship with God, and that lasts like 37 seconds, and then they blow it, and they do something else, and now there's no hope because God, and I didn't obey, and now I'm not going to be his people, but there's still this sacrifice. So I'll go and sacrifice some grain, and that's great, and that lasts a minute and eight seconds, and then they're like, oh, there's no hope. Hope, no hope. Hope, no hope. Hope, no hope. It's this cycle. And it's so vicious. And so there's these moments where God's people are acting as God's people should. And then there are these more frequent moments when they are not living the way that they should live. And so in the midst of all the hope, no hope, they land on this, like if it's a spinner, you know, spinner, hope, spinner, no hope, spinner, hope, spinner, no hope. They land in a no hope square. Finally, have done enough. They finally have blown it a number of times, and they end up being conquered by some nations and drug out of the land that God had given them, the place they had built their homes and their families, that they had their special monuments and moments. God, they're they're taken out of that, and they're taken to other countries, and a number of them die, and a number of them are just in different places, and they don't speak the language or like the food or understand the people, and they're just confused and lost, and they're just in a season of no hope, a really long season. Of no hope. And yet, throughout all the no hope in the life of the Israelites, God's people, there are men and women who stand up and talk about a God of hope. And they write songs about him. And they prophesy about him. They have dreams about him. They have pastors that speak about this God of hope in the midst of the no hope. There's, there's Psalms, a whole book called Psalms. Those are just songs, and there's one written by David. And he says this. He says, the Lord, uh, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This, this picture of, of, of conquering one day, of, of winning battles, of owning the world again, of being where you should be. We have get uh, a picture of the prophet Isaiah. He says this in one of his, his poems. He says, For, uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He'll reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. This hope that one day a person would come that would be this mighty ruler that would be king over and lord over and bring peace and counsel and hope and everything that we have wanted these, these people write about it and dream about it and they sing about it even in the midst of the no hope square that they've landed on. And in the midst, the deepest part of their misery when it's the, the darkest, darkest, darkest it could be, there seems to be zero hope left. Uh, a pastor steps up, his name is Jeremiah, and in chapter 29 he says this to the people that are stuck in the middle of a horrible place in a horrible situation and they're just feeling no sense of hope whatever. This is what God says to Jeremiah, and he goes and he tells the people, he says, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's a verse we quote a lot. It was written to people that were in their darkest pit of zero hope. 
And God says to them through a pastor, hey, there is hope coming. There's a person that's going to come that's going to make this all right one day. You will see we still serve the God of hope. And we kind of know some of the end of the story. In Matthew chapter 2, this person shows up on the scene. It says, and after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed as all Jerusalem with him. And we had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law. He asked them, where is this Messiah who was to be born? Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, by no means are least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Don't miss this. This is the answer that they've been waiting for. Adam, there was some hope that he could have right relationship with God. But it was weird because he's wearing like fig leaves and he's wearing animal skins and he's not where he's supposed to be. And he's in some relationship, but but he's waiting for something better. And, And Noah comes along and he gets in a boat, which is a symbol of hope. And then it's like, oh my gosh. And then he gets out of the boat. Thank God for that. And then he thinks, man, will this happen again? And there's a rainbow in the sky. There's some hope. But there's still something not quite right, and the people of God are trying to figure out, how do we live with this God? We keep blowing it and sacrificing some animal, and we do it right, and we do it wrong, and the spinner of no hope, hope, no hope, hope continues to spin and lands in no hope way too often. And yet people consistently remind that we have a God who brings hope, even in the midst of no hope. And eventually this Jesus shows up on the planet and begins to do these things that seem to indicate he's the one that we've been waiting for. This person that's going to bring, finally, hope, even in the midst of no hope. And then Jesus, if you know the stories, he, he gets complicated because he seems to be the right one, and then he kind of uh, does some things then begins to speak in ways that, that make people go, I don't know, is he the one? Is he not the one? He seems like he's God. He seems like he's not. I'm so confused. And one of Jesus' closest friends, actually his cousin named John, who grew up with Jesus, who knew Jesus maybe better than most of the family did. John is on the scene as well, talking about this Jesus to come. And one day John is baptizing people in this local river, and Jesus shows up, and John points at him and says, that's the guy. That's the guy we've been waiting for. And they have this exchange, and not too much long after that, John gets arrested because he's ticking off the local uh, king. It doesn't matter, but it matters to him, but it does, whatever. And so he gets arrested, and he's in prison, and he's just in this moment of no hope. And he's asking the question, is Jesus really the one that we've been waiting for? And he sends some of his guys, and in Luke chapter 7, this is just a great story. It says, John's disciples told him about all these things that Jesus had been doing. And so calling two of them, John sent them to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Do you hear the heart in John's question? Jesus, I'm in prison. There's a good chance that I'm going to die. John does die. He does get beheaded, actually, because of the things that he was saying about the king and the king's wife, blah, blah, blah. John is saying, man, I need to know. I just need to know. I I just don't have a sense of hope at all. I need to know, are you really the guy or, or are we waiting for someone else? Verse 20 says, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to ask you, are, the, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, gave sights to those who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame, they walk. Those who have leprosy, they're cleansed. The deaf, they hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. This language of hope. John, I'm the guy. 
do, do you see what I'm doing? I could tell you words, but it's better to look at what I'm doing. I'm healing and raising and pronouncing good news to people who need hope more than anybody else on the planet. That's us. And so he goes back to John, and John feels this sense of excitement and a sense of encouragement. And we move to, to uh, the, one of the last couple of verses I want to look at, Matthew chapter 28, because as this time goes on, we get to the end, and Jesus is about to leave the planet um, for, for, for the last time. And he's got his uh, disciples around him. It says, to the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mount where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Here's the part. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Hope, no hope. Hope, no hope. Hope, no hope. Jesus brings hope. And he lands that spinner of hope, no hope onto hope. Because he says, I'm with you always even to the very end. We get New Testament writers who write letters who, who constantly remind us of this reality. Paul in 1 Corinthians, writing to a church that was very messed up, in a town that was very messed up, at a time that was very messed up, he says this. He says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This relationship that you have with Jesus, living this life of discipleship, it's not in vain. It's not worthless. It is what brings great hope in the midst of sometimes lives that seem to be not so hopeful. So what's the point of all of this? God is the God of the hopeless. He's brought hope to those who have none. God is no different today. He still brings hope. Jesus. Jesus is the friend of the hopeless, and Jesus is our hope. All of those stories we read and we recount of Adam and Noah and Israel and, and Jesus, those are all just reminders that we have this God of hope. I have no idea what your circumstances are. I know some of your stories, but I have no idea what your situation is or your circumstances are. Only thing that I'm absolutely clear on is whatever they are, you have a God of hope in your corner. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've got ultimate hope. Uh, I want to finish that James Whitaker story that we started with. Remember, James is on a boat. The, the plane has gone down. They're in three uh, nine-foot uh, life rafts with ten-foot sharks uh, bumping them. Uh, it would take a miracle to survive. Seemingly, all hope was lost. One morning after their daily devotions, Rickenbacker leaned his head back against the raft and pulled his hat over his eyes. A bird landed on his head. He peered out from under his hat. Every eye was on him. He instinctively knew that it was a seagull. Rickenbacker caught it, and the crew ate it. Bird's intestines were used for bait to catch fish, and the crew survived to tell the story. A story about a stranded crew with no hope or help in sight. A story about prayers offered and prayers answered. A story of salvation, but the greatest event of that day was not the rescue of the crew, but the rescue of a soul. James Whitaker was an unbeliever. He didn't have a relationship with Jesus. The plane crash didn't change this event, his unbelief. The days facing death didn't cause him to reconsider his destiny. 
In fact, Mrs. Whitaker said her husband grew irritated when John Bartok, a crew member who continually read his Bible privately and out loud. But his protests didn't stop Bartok from reading, nor did Whitaker's resistance stop the word from penetrating his soul. Unknown to Whitaker, the soil of his heart was being plowed. For it was one morning after a Bible reading that the seagull landed on Captain Rickenbacker's head. And at that moment, Jim became a believer. Isn't that just like God? Who would have gone to such extremes to save a soul. Amazing lengths to which he will go to get our attention, to offer eternal hope where there seems to be none. And friends, my hope, my hope is that as we walk out of 2017, we walk out of this year, whatever's happened, whatever's coming, with a sense of hope because we know the God of the universe. If you'd stand, we'll sing together the reality of that.